Welcome to the MBP, the Micah Brown podcast, where I have the privilege of connecting you, my listeners, my audience, my friends with interesting people in an intentional way. I do that through two facets. One is I, I know that right now we, we tend to miss out on the relational aspect of being fellow human beings. A lot of times we'll address other people based on the statistics that they're mentioning or the facts that they're mentioning and miss the whole point is that we're two human beings interacting. So the way I approach that is through connecting with my guests first in a personal way. What obstacles have they overcome? What is their background like? What's their family like? What personal things are they engaged in right now so that you can better connect with them, relate with them, and understand where they're coming from? Maybe you have something in common. Who knows? We won't know until we ask, right? And then the second aspect of that is by getting into what interesting things are they doing? That could be in their professional life. That could be in something that they're just involved with outside of their typical nine to five job. Um, it could be any number of things. Maybe it's just something on the public stage. Nonetheless, those are the two sides of the same coin that make up a person. And I want to get into knowing more about each side of uh, that, that person that I get to have on the show, get to interview. I really appreciate you listening right now. Make sure to subscribe so that you don't miss out on any great interviews that I have upcoming. And in addition to that, I want to thank you for supporting the podcast. If you want to continue to do so, you can, I'm going to have other ways coming up soon, but for now, by getting your free trial through audibletrial.com forward slash MBP, not only will you be supporting the podcast, but that gives you an easy opportunity to look up some of the books that we've mentioned on previous episodes, maybe some of the guests have mentioned, and listen to those for free for 30 days. I would strongly recommend you keep it because it's actually a really great resource to have um, anytime that you're driving or just doing something, maybe lawn care outside of your own home. Who knows what it is? But it's a great resource to have. So again, audibletrial.com forward slash MBP. And anytime you sign up for a free new account, that will support the podcast. So I thank you in advance for that. Finally, to some very specific people who have supported this podcast already. First, to Alvin Brown, who has helped set up this podcast, get it off the ground, get it going, and continues to support me behind the scenes. Second would be to the man, the myth, the legend who has created our music that we now use on this show, Isaiah Cruz. Phenomenal musician, even more phenomenal human being. And last but not least, I want to thank you to the sponsorship that Thelma's Treats has offered to the Micah Brown podcast. Guys, listen, here's the thing. Here's how this went down. I saw an ice cream sandwich and I thought that looks very delicious and it's super hot here in Austin, Texas. So what did I do? Like a normal sane human being, I bought the ice cream sandwich, ate it before I even made it to my car. I thought that's amazing. I need more of that in my life. Reached out to Thelma's and just said, hey, y'all make a fantastic product. I want more. Is there anything I can do to help you guys out? They said, just get the word out. I can't tell you how easy it is for me to tell you about Thelma's treats. If you need a good ice cream sandwich, if your kids need a good ice cream sandwich, if it's way too hot outside and you just need something to put a smile on your face, get yourself an ice cream sandwich. Treat yourself, as they say on Parks and Rec. That's all I got. Enjoy. On the show today, it is my pleasure to have my friend, Rachel Krennic. 
Rachel Krennic is a detox psych nurse living in Austin, Texas, and she grew up in Richmond, Texas. For those of you that don't know, that's very close to Houston, Texas, which Houston's a giant city, so a lot of things are close to Houston, Texas. But uh, she was the eldest of six children and wanted to be a veterinarian growing up. She entered high school and then later uh, Texas A&M University, if you've heard of it. That's my favorite college. She quickly became involved with community service and found a desire to care for others, quickly changing her career path from physical therapy to nursing and graduated from Blinn College in 2016, where they have a fantastic nursing program. She spent most of her nursing career in mental health and substance, uh, substance abuse nursing, but while battling chronic disorders herself, which you'll hear about on today's show, she has become a women's health advocate for disorders such as PCOS, endometriosis, and overall mental health. She's also a signed fitness model and athlete, but uses her influence to encourage others to develop holistic health centered around mind, body, and spirit. After completion of the LVN RN program in December, she will continue psych nursing. However, she also plans to work more as an influencer and athlete to spread health education and help other women with chronic disorders find long-term solutions. The most important thing out of any of that is the fact that she's actually a fantastic human being and a wonderful person to know. So I hope that you enjoy this interview. Here's my conversation with Rachel Krennic. Rachel, thank you so much for being on the Micah Brown podcast today. I know you just got off a shift. So how tired are you and how are you doing? Um, so right now it's what, 849. I'm usually in the morning, just so we're all clear. Yeah. In the morning. I'm usually at the kind of not speaking English part when people see me. So (laughs) So she slurs her speech. She hasn't had alcohol or anything. She's just extremely tired. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but no, I'm good. This is honestly my normal. So as much as it is, you know, if I get four to six hours, we're good. And I'm honestly more productive that way. So I'm okay. If you sleep Um, more than six hours, do you feel like you're, you're like sleep hung over the rest of the day? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. That's how I feel. My body's like, how dare you treat me right? (laughs) You know what? Just for that, just for the extra sleep, I'm going to be asleep all day. Okay. You're going to walk around, but you're a zombie. Pretty much. That's great. Uh, We'll get into more of what kind of nursing you do and all of that uh, here shortly. Uh, I always like to start with, and first of all, thank you for being on this because I know going straight from a shift to coming home and being like, yes, sleep. And then, nope, going to do that interview for Micah because we scheduled it and I, I'm, you know, whatever. So I hope that you get really good rest today. I would love to start with just general background, whatever that means for you. You could share growing up, higher education, meeting Michael, jobs, roles, whatever, um, maybe even like how you got to where you are as a nurse now, um, just kind of fill in the gaps, whatever you want to share as much or as little, you can literally take as long as you want. I had a previous guest who basically just rolled right through all the questions when I only asked him his uh, background and it worked, but it's up to you. This interview is for okay. you. So share with us whatever you'd like. Um, well, I guess to start out, I I've always wanted to be a veterinarian, honestly, growing up, I, you know, we took care of little birds and tried to, you know, sew their legs back together and take care of little bunnies. And it usually didn't work out. They usually died, but. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Wait, just back up for a second. You tried to sew 
birds legs back together is that what you just said mostly like wings like you know if we'd be like oh, oh. it's broken <laughs> we can suture it and if it was like a broken leg we thought we could do the same but that probably came from a story that my dad told me about having a three-legged dog and amputating its leg themselves mm. so that's good yeah anyways i grew up in the country we'll go with that um <laughs> but being the oldest of six children i think i've always been primed to be a nurse i just didn't know it um however i know now i don't want to be a, a labor and delivery nurse so I think that so might be that. <laughs> the only thing that I was like, okay, I'm done with children is I've raised my five siblings. Um, however, I still always wanted to, you know, focus on animals growing up. Um, however, we all went to Catholic school and they forced us to do community service. So at first I hated it. I absolutely hated it. No one wants to go to the nursing home on their Saturdays and, you know, I, I'm sorry. It just still always smells. It never gets old. As a kid, you always have that smell associated with visiting your, you know, dying loved ones. And it's not a good association. And um, so I started out doing that. But then my senior year of high school, we started volunteering at um, the state school, which I don't know if you're familiar, but nope. it's essentially like state-funded mental health care for individuals you know who have traumatic brain injuries or their families can't take care of them anymore and it's really sad because oftentimes their families just dump them there and they're anywhere from 18 years old to 80 and they never come see them again so i mean it's kind of a scary place to even volunteer because these people live there and you know some of them are in isolation and growing literal feces at you as you're trying to give them meds. So it was Goodness. scary, but over time I actually started to enjoy it. And I don't know why, but, you know, I guess I had an affinity for, for working with people that have mental illness. And once you understand how to communicate with them, it's not scary anymore. Um, yeah. so going from that in high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I went, started out at A&M wanting to do physical therapy and they made it a, um, master's my first year there and told me, Hey, you need to take physics one and two. And I said, I don't even need that for nursing. Yeah. So I transferred weird. to nursing and loved it. Um, so I graduated at Blinn in Brenham and shortly got a, pediatric nursing job ironically <laughs> in Austin and moved out here I think November of what was that 2016 and I've been here ever since um, however I joke with my instructors now that in nursing school I always got stuck with the detoxing alcoholics and no one else did and it's a sign <laughs> And here I am now I work in detox full time and I love it. But, um, you know, it's been a journey. I start out with kids. I do. I don't get me wrong. I love children. I love babies. And I worked with, um, an eight month old most of my time because I was a home health nurse. So I stayed in their homes and you really get to know these families. Um, however, it killed me, you know, working with parents that have to accept that their child will never walk 
or never speak or maybe bed bound the rest of their life, it's hard. And some of them are in denial. Some of them don't provide good care and you're their babysitter. Um, and some of them just can't cope with it and that's okay too. But I think for me, it became too tolling on my mental health where you feel so much for these kids and they become yours that it breaks you that you have to leave their home and um, not knowing if they're going to be okay. So for me, that was just a little too much on my heartstrings, you know, taking care of my own siblings and just feeling that parent role um, that I think it's easier to work with adults now, you know, I can work yeah. with their families easier um, in regards to, you know, a kid in their own home. That's a very intimate situation. So, um, but yeah, that's kind of how I ended up here. And I've been working detox and um, mental health trauma psych for about three years now. So, yeah. Well, you said you grew up in the country and then you moved to Austin in 2016. And I know in your introduction, uh, I mentioned, thanks to you, uh, kind of filling that out, but, um, you are now a, what is it? Certified fitness model. How did that happen? Um, so I don't really even remember, honestly, I think just in college, um, I worked with Cellucor. So I don't know if you've heard of like yep. C4 or extend yep. BPAs. Um, one of my bar regulars was, the CFO or something of the sort. And he became like a second father to me. I mean, he would come up to the bar and be like, here, I bought you BCAs for you and your family. And just, you know, hand out a huge <laughs> bag of supplements. You get aminos and you get aminos. <laughs> yeah. um, and so it kind of took off from there. Um, and then it's just been more of me connecting with people in health because A, I have chronic health conditions. So I started really researching my own health um, at the end of college before I moved to Austin. And in that I've connected with so many people that a want to help and B, they're like, look, I take this and it's actually changed my life or, you know, it's relieved my pain or it's, you know, helped me stay more hydrated because Rachel does not drink water. She forgets I'm terrible. <laughs> um, so, you know, it just became really just outsourcing and connecting with people and finding people that shared the same interests for health. And somewhere along the line, I stumbled upon Naturally Fit and they signed me as a fitness model. Um, but then I also connected with a gym in Kansas City, Dream Muscle Gym. And now they do Dream Muscle Coffee. So they focus on like... CBD infused juices. They focus on recovery. Um, my coach actually struggles with CTE from arena football. So he's really dived in recently to how can we make this brand focused on individual training. So we, they work with specifically athletes or people with, you know, I have this health condition. How can we build a plan and a diet around that? For those um, that don't know, what's CTE? Now I'm going to probably brain fry it. Or, or you can describe it. I want to say it. chronic traumatic encephalopathy, but let me just Google that because like I said, I can't speak English. So I definitely can't do 
Oh, Rachel still got it. Chronic traumatic encephalopathy. <laughs> still got it. Crushed it. Barely. But I'm like, I know this, I know the rest, but I'm not sure if it's concussion, you know, induced, but it's basically smacking your heads in football over and over and the degenerative disease that it causes of your brain matter. And that's what you see with these athletes that are struggling with aggression and um i we heard about the boxer a few years back who actually killed his whole family that was cte um and it's it's so sad because these people can't control it i mean it's your brain has just you know lost a lot of its function so you know preventing seizures and working with memory loss and trying to prevent pain is you know a huge I think it should be a bigger issue because we love football. Everyone loves football. Everyone loves Especially boxing. in Texas. But look at the cost we're paying. These athletes get paid millions of dollars, but at the cost of their own, you know, lives, unfortunately, you know, as we're yeah. seeing now with all these studies. So, yeah, I don't know. I've connected with a lot of people and mainly it's been through what health conditions are they suffering from and they want to get better or at least have a manageable lifestyle that they can still be happy and not be constantly in pain. So Yeah, I'm one of those that is constantly in pain and actually yeah. um I'm totally fine being this candid on a recorded episode, but actually today I'm going to the doctor um, technically for my annual wellness check, cause I'm apparently old now. Um, but <laughs> I, I wrote down in like one of the nurses had emailed me and, and I said, I have a few questions, um, that I just need answers for, cause it's my body and I'm, I'm not a medical professional. So I'm, I don't, I don't want to start Googling the mess out of everything mm -hmm. unless I at least have like some direction. You'll diagnose uh, yourself with cancer. Yeah. And I'll freak yeah. out. Yeah. So I know that that's a kind of a trap there. It's that's different than saying, okay, I am diagnosed with X condition. Now let me research like what kind of methods people have used, like, like you're talking about and different right. things that they've taken, drank, you know, whatever. And my question was, I'm in constant pain pretty much all the time. Mm -hmm. Like I, I have less experiences of being fully relaxed like and not feeling pain like I literally right. would feel like I've taken a drug because all of a sudden all all my pain is gone and it's it's in, it's in random right. places like it'll be in my elbows then in my hand and then like down my legs and I'm like there's no rhyme or reason that I can figure out as to why any of these parts of my body are, are just aching mm -hmm. and it's been happening for years and I, I only told Elizabeth this within this past year so I, I wanted to ask the doctor today, you know, what's up with that? And then I'm pretty sure I fractured my heel. So there's oh, that great. part of it. At, you know, it's all been happening in our lives. Just yes, add it to the tab, man. As I'm sitting in a not-my-house Airbnb. I um, know. But uh, anyway, so I'm I'm very interested to see what the doctor says. And then I may be coming back to you and be like, all right, Rachel, is this yeah. anything that you've been experiencing? But I, I'd I love mean, to... That's how I feel. I literally just went... I'm literally going through that same exact problem right now. I went to a new doctor yesterday and left completely discouraged. And now I have another appointment on Monday because I've been dealing with a ruptured cyst for four days and no one cares. It's fine. Just chill, Rachel. Find yeah. some narcotics somewhere. Like, I don't want pain meds. I want an answer for why it's happening when I'm on all yeah. these medications, you know? 
Don't so give me I a Band-Aid. Sew me up. Yeah. Right? That's very, that's frustrating. And for me, I, having dealt with two herniated discs, and I'd love to, you know, talk a little bit more about things that you've dealt with medically, if you don't, as much as yeah. you care to share. No, I am um, don't mind sharing at all, so. Cool. Uh, I've, having dealt with even the herniated disc situation, uh, I quickly realized that Tylenol and ibuprofen don't even touch the level of pain that mm -hmm. I felt. <laughs> That was, a, that was a very emphatic no <laughs> shaking your head i'm like i don't even take it it's like a joke like i try a leave yeah. or anything and i'm like well cool i just uh put my kidneys and liver through something for no reason but yeah they just did a backflip now i've got a whole different level of back pain but um yeah i uh so i, I i'm very hesitant to like take any sort of prescription level uh like pain med there have been some times where i'm like i don't care what it is put it in me f get this pain because i can't think straight i'm sweating from the pain i can't even get up and walk around make right. it stop and that's when in one case they gave me uh like a muscle relaxer an anti-inflammatory and a painkiller and they were like this is literally the only way you're going to stop this because all your muscles are tightening up from the pain mm -hmm. and right. it's compounding so you have to right. literally relax the muscles and then deal with the inflammation and all and the while get rid of the pain. pain. Yeah. And so there have been times like that where I'm, there's three pills I'm dropping in my mouth at the same time. And I'm like, this is literally my lifeline. And then after that, I focus, I've got every massager you can think of trying to, there's one sitting right in front of me right now, but just to try to deal with ways in ways that aren't medication that, that right. actually are actually very beneficial to the body. Um, so I would love to know, I don't know if this kind of fits into the, the next question that I, I like asking people. So I'll ask it and if it fits in cool, if it's something different, then you let me know, but mm -hmm. what obstacles or events in your life have most shaped your character or who you are as a person and how, so that may fit with everything you've been dealing with, uh, physically, medically, or maybe something different, but I would love to know, cause Here's the, here's the thing that I, that I love about you as a person, Rachel, just I'll say it in front of everybody on the outside. If people saw like your, your modeling pictures, the amount of assumptions that would come up would not match who you are. And, and I mean that as a compliment, like people see, oh my gosh, there's a, an athletic model and oh, I want to be like her, but they don't know your story. They don't know what's going on in your life. They don't know what you're dealing with. And so I would love to take this moment to let you just kind of share some things that you've dealt with because who knows who's going to listen to this episode and be like, oh my gosh, I've been dealing with those exact things and I want help. Maybe I can reach out to Rachel. Maybe I can reach out to Micah and figure out how to get answers. So would love for you to share a little bit. Um, I mean, as far as obstacles, I wouldn't necessarily say obstacles. I I've always had like a, I had a great upbringing. I had a great childhood, a great parents that are very supportive. Um, however, I will say that I greatly thank my parents now looking back on this, but I mean, my dad had me build the fence around my house. Like, I mean, manual labor every weekend. I've done know. that exact thing. So I feel you. Yeah. And I think that's honestly the problem with our generation nowadays and kids is, I mean, we do work what work ethic at work and I've had patients that don't know how to push a broom and they're 30 years old. 
So I wouldn't say obstacles. That's but a I sweeping problem across the nation. <laughs> right. Sorry, I had to. Had to. <laughs> Da-ching. Yeah. Dad jokes but, for days. Um, yeah, I was going to say dad joke. But I would say, you know, I wouldn't say it's an obstacle, but as a child, I felt like my childhood was hard because I was constantly working and taking care of kids. And, you know, there wasn't playtime necessarily like everyone else does now. And it's like, here, you're glued to your iPad for six hours. That did not exist. I had 30 minutes a day to an hour and it was limited. Um, you know, I, it was a very, not rigid, but strict upbringing. And I feel like now as an adult, it has helped me kind of look at my chronic illness and say, okay, this sucks. And I have to modify my lifestyle now in ways that seem rigid to other people. But in order for me to be a nurse and be 12 hours on my feet and not be on narcotics somehow and not be able to be a nurse, I have to find a way that makes it work. And I mean, my coworkers even know this. If I'm putting my head down on my desk for 30 minutes at 3 a.m. when everyone's asleep, my boss is okay with it. And he knows I'm not just trying to take a nap. I'm literally just trying to somehow make it through the end of the shift because I don't take pain meds. Um, and with PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome for, you know, I don't want to start throwing out acronyms for non-medical people. <laughs> I was about to say, but, I don't um, even know what PCOS is. I think I have an but idea, but yeah. Basically, I have all the testosterone of a man and no estrogen of a female. Chill, right? Um, completely backwards. But because of the testosterone that causes cysts, every time you're supposed to ovulate, you're the follicles that should be, you know, quote, having an egg or, you know, be fertilized that just flares up like a balloon. So you can imagine it's just, you know, like I literally can pinpoint, it's like, I feel a marble in my left side and I know exactly what it is. And you can almost count them because you can have so many, I mean, I used to have 12 on each ovary when it was really bad. Goodness. Um, so with that comes chronic fatigue and it comes, you know, pain, anxiety and severe pain and mood swings and all these things that I think should hinder me as a nurse. Um, but to be honest, I'm, I'm upfront about what I'm going through. And if a patient's about to see me cry, I'm going to tell them why. And more than likely they're going to build a more trusting relationship with me. And I feel like clients also open up to me a lot more because they see that I'm human too. And I have shit to deal with. Um, I've, I've experienced the exact same thing and even talked about that where with middle schoolers, people don't think that adults, I'll say adults don't think that, um, I don't know that you should open up to a middle schooler, like a 13 year old, 14 year old, but I, I have experienced that they, they are much more capable of handling real conversation than I think we give them credit for and exactly what you're talking about. I think it's like a human response or something. When you can tell that somebody's being genuine, it, it like draws out that honesty from yourself, you know, like, oh my gosh, you're being vulnerable for me. Now I feel safe. Whereas before, like we were just human beings trying to wear our masks as best we can. 
Right. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I guess I would say my chronic illnesses have been my biggest obstacle because as I've gotten older, it's only become more significant and it's become more of a realization of crap. I have to deal with this the rest of my life. And that can be really depressing. And so I've even told Michael up until COVID, I've never been actually depressed where I can vocalize it. But I can honestly say now, I mean, I am when you don't have an outlet necessarily, like you can't just run to the gym or you can't just run outside. That's how I stay sane. And and when I can't do that, all I have to do is sit at home and think about that I'm in pain. It gets you really down and it gets you really angry. And unfortunately you lash out at people you love. And I mean, that's honestly been one of the biggest obstacles for me is now I'm looking forward going, how much longer is this going to go on? Like, I don't know if I can take this because flu season's around the corner and I'm not worried about people being sick and dying. It's about people being sick and being in the hospital. And these restrictions will continue to apply to all of us, no matter if we like it or not, you know? Dang. So that's what I don't, I mean, that's been my biggest message across COVID is I know we're sick and tired of this, but it's not a political stunt. Trust me. <laughs> it's not a political yeah, stunt. It's your life right now. But it's, it's the same reason that your surgeon doesn't say, Oh, we're not in a pandemic now. So I'm not going to wear a gown, a gown and mask and gloves. I mean, Sure, you might not be an imminent threat of dying, but don't you still want to wear a seatbelt when you're driving? It's it's the same concept. If I don't think anyone's, you know, people are saying it's not as bad as the flu or, you know, the flu kills more people. That's fine. But think about how long the incubation period is and think about how easy it is for people to forget that they might have been exposed two weeks ago. And people are asymptomatic. So being on the other side of it, it gets really depressing going, people aren't going to listen. And unfortunately, our endurance isn't that strong as Americans. We'll commit to something for a while, but until it gets uncomfortable, then we're done with it. And we don't really care if it's a pandemic. I mean, I'm feeling the same way. It's almost like, I don't even care if I get COVID at this point. I just want to go to the beach. And you have to keep reorienting yourself saying, well, if everyone thought that way, we're going to be stuck in this situation for years, you know? Yeah. So We'll, we'll come back to that uh, in a minute because um, that's definitely something I wanted to dive into and have kind of a dialogue about. I know uh, <laughs> I, I want to get your answer for this. Who inspires you the most and in what way? Cause I feel, I feel like it's a very human response. Oh, you wanted me to jokingly say that it is. Oh yes. Mingale? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and for, for those that don't know who that is, it was the, uh, the father of nursing. Mother of nursing. Mother of nursing. We Sorry. Call her the mother of nursing. Essentially. She, you know, started the nursing process and started, um, using aseptic technique and said, you know, we're not going to just answer amputate people's legs in the battlefield we need to actually wash our hands and we need to start you know using protective measures because before that 
I mean, medicine was kind of scary. We bled out people to get rid of toxins. You know what I mean? Like just did some very interesting things, but we didn't have the technology we have today. Or the um, understanding either or way. Or the understanding of it. So, I mean, I wouldn't say that she, quote, inspires me, but I am very appreciative of, you know, all the safety precautions we have now. Um, because even still, look how many hospital-acquired infections we still have. You just can't prevent everything. But if we didn't have such strict techniques when we do certain procedures and knowing okay this is airborne precautions okay this is droplet precautions you know you need sterile technique for that you need aseptic if those weren't ever in you know discovered or burdened by you know nightingales i shouldn't say predecessors but people who came after her I don't think we'd be here today. And um, I mean, when I have to say who inspires me, it's, I have to say it's the general population of our frontline workers, because I'm truly not a frontline worker. I'm in exposure to COVID, but I'm still in an isolated private facility. So I have to give it to my, my peers and my friends and my family that are working the front lines because I truly don't understand what they're going through. You know, well, some of so, them haven't seen their it's kids so in weighty. It's so weighty. It's hard yeah. to understand the nature of what they're going through. And yeah, I, I can't, I've seen, I've seen pictures uh, from my friends that are, that are on Facebook and they're like, you know, <laughs> you think a mask is bad and then they're, they're covered from head to toe and like the, the face shield plus a mask plus goggles and then like a a smocking gown or whatever. Yeah. Like gown trash bags. Yeah. It's, and that's 12 hours a day. I mean, I can at least go hide in my office later at night, clean everything and take my mask off for a second, but other people don't have that luxury and I can still go home and feel somewhat safe being around you know michael but my my peers don't have that luxury you know their kids are with a a relative or you know maybe after they've been tested in quarantine they can see their loved ones but i mean i can't imagine being in that situation every single day and working with covid and seeing the uglier side of it you know, in these ICUs where people aren't getting off ventilators um, and then going back home to your kids. Like, I can't imagine if I'm depressed, what do they feel like? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And when I experienced it, it wasn't even like it was rough. It was a rough ride. Um, and I think thanks to you and your recommendations of uh, just, I guess, supplements, uh, vitamins, that sort of stuff of what yeah. we were taking, I I noticed the, the turnaround from when, cause I didn't start those on day one. Oh, um, really? Yeah. No. Cause I, I didn't, I didn't know really what to ask or whatever. And then we had to go get them and that sort of thing. So, um, once we got them and I started taking them, that's when I didn't feel like I was melting through my bed anymore, uh, right. so, which was a huge positive. I mean, I literally couldn't hold up my phone because my body was so fatigued, mind wide awake. Right. Cause I had slept. But my I my hand would I just couldn't raise my arm. It felt so heavy because um, my body just was like, nope, not not gonna work. <laughs> Forget that, which was crazy. Um, I would love to know before we kind of move into more and we'll really 
you know, dive into the the professional side of what you're doing and uh, things like that. But I, even as your friend, I want to know uh, when I, when I have my friends on here, I'm like, man, I, I like to know where their heart is and just what their um, kind of life goal is. Much. And in one case, my very best friend, Barrett, he was like, dude, Oh man, this is, this is a really good question. <laughs> you know, like he hadn't really processed it and then he came up with an answer, but if you died tomorrow or today, what do you hope people say about you when you're gone? Honestly, I just hope that they say that I gave them the best care and I made them feel like, you know, from in my experience, like when I've had clients leave that maintain sobriety and reach out to me later, um, it is so rewarding. And I, this is probably all I want to hear when I'm gone is that you made a difference in my life. You made me see why sobriety works. And because I see you happy, it makes me want to be happy. You know, just in the way that I provide nursing care, um, I've been told like, I mean, I'm a clown, even with the clients, like I know that they feel like crap. So I usually make a fool of myself and make them laugh. And they're like, you know, that's all I needed today. Not that you gave me the right pills or like, instead of listening to them, you just say, here's some anxiety meds. Like I'll sit there and let them talk. And sure. I might not always want to listen or, you know, it might be something ridiculous. Like I really need my Apple watch because, you know, I need to check this on my phone and I'm like, sorry, that's not going to happen. But at the same time, just listening to them makes people feel like just letting people feel heard and feel like they matter. You people don't realize how much that impacts their physical health. I mean, they're even doing cancer treatments where you do straight psychotherapy of just you visualizing your white blood cells attacking cancer cells and it works. So, I mean, your mind doesn't know what reality is until you fully convince it. So my whole, I mean, if, it, if there's anything that I could take away, I just hope that people say that I did make a difference in their life and I helped them get better because I was just genuine and I went a little further than the extra mile, you know? So I honestly, think, that's all I can hope for. So I'm even looking at the questions that I had typed out for the professional side of things, and we've kind of already touched on every one of them. Uh, so even with what you just said, because I know you and I both wanted to talk about mental health. Um, two things. One, when you were talking about the encephalopathy it sounds like a dinosaur it's almost. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> when, <laughs> when it roamed the earth. No. Um, but with that, I feel like one of the reasons we don't, we, we don't as, as like a society, we don't want to acknowledge it or we don't want to deal with it or we don't address it, whatever is because we can't see it. Mm-hmm. And we, we see the symptoms and we're like, Oh, that's just a mood swing. Right. And in the same way, what you just talked about with your, your patients, your clients, like trying to, to detox and everything in, I would like to believe being a non-medical professional, um, I would like to believe that you, as he said, acting a fool of yourself and just being a clown and making them laugh. I think that that actually has a greater impact on them than 
like medication that you could be giving yeah. them. Of course, there's there's caveats to that, right? You know, it's like, right. no, it's kind of like me with the pain meds. There are some situations where literally that is the only thing that's going to right. solve what I'm dealing with. And exactly. I get that. But even when, even with everything that I've been dealing with, I told Barrett, the, the same guy I just talked about, um, I told him, dude, if my sense of humor was taken from me, I would just resign my soul immediately. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, it's not worth it anymore. Um, because everything that you discussed and what I've experienced is that our, our mind, not in a physical brain sense, but the internal feelings, um, processes when of a situation, how we view things, our perspective, that is a very, very powerful place inside of us that place is kind of a loose term, but, uh, it's a, it's a powerful thing inside of us that I feel like because we can't see it, we don't really talk about it very often and mental health is becoming more prominent. I feel like it's a very slow thing. Um, but we don't discuss it very often. And I feel like if we did, we probably wouldn't have a plethora of other symptoms that really the cause is mental health. And that could range from, you know, people being psychedelic, taking drugs, that sort of thing. Uh, people that are suicidal, you know, kind of like the extreme end of things that are more, uh, prominent and, and easy to see symptoms of, but on the other end, it's stuff like what you've talked about and what I've experienced of just the depression of feeling isolated, feeling alone. How do I, even in relationships, as Elizabeth and I have gone to counseling, both individually and together, we go because we, and I've expressed this this to Aaron, my counselor. I'm like, I just need new vocabulary of how to communicate what's on the inside out to Elizabeth. Exactly. Because it's not that I don't want to communicate. I want to tell her what's going on. I don't want to leave her in the dark. But how do I use the right verbiage to get it from my brain out my mouth into her ears and her understand it the same way that I meant it? Mm-hmm. So I, I know that uh, mental health is something that you're a big proponent of. Give me just kind of your view on the state of mental health and maybe some things that you've seen and dealt with both personally and then from like your friends, clients, that sort of thing. Uh, I don't want to get Debbie Downer, but I mean, it's, it's life, Bring it's it on. life and it's sad, but I will say this, the friendships I formed and the people that I can call up and a lot of them have long-term sobriety. Um, for example, I, I'm even about to try to work the steps just to work on, um, uh, my resentments. And for people that don't know much about the 12 step program, it's focused on finding a higher power, which I think is unheard of in any kind of medical treatment. I mean, or even mental health, mental health in general, they don't say find God and you'll be okay. But it's not just finding God. It's not even finding a specific being. It's finding a focal point that you can hold yourself accountable to and focus on to get you through this process. So it, it's whatever your God is, so to speak. It can be a tree. It can be, you know, a female. It doesn't matter. But you start there. You incorporate meditation. That's part of, you know, two and three and recognizing there's a power higher than yourself and then recognizing that you have to surrender all your selfishness and your ego to give it up 
and you start to write. So step four, which is what I'm going to be working on is um, writing out a list of all your resentments and people that you resent. But then it's amazing. And I've never, you know, my clients do these worksheets and I, I didn't know how in depth it was. And it makes sense when you see these crazy changes in them, like in 21 days, they are a totally different person. But then I see the amount of emotional work they have to put in. And like these resentment sheets will start with, who are you resentful against? What is your part in, you know, what part do you have in this resentment? Did you, you know, blow up at this person and cause some of that resentment? And then what underlying delusion is underneath that? Do you have this view that that person hates you because your hair is brown, for example? But then underneath that, what's your underlying fear of addressing this resentment? And I never thought about it like that. And so it's like, you know, you have these resentments, but you don't know how to get rid of them. And you don't know how to even approach that person because they might be 10 years gone in your life. Um, so it's stuff like that, that, you know, I would have never discovered about myself or even known to incorporate because I don't identify as an addict. But I really do think that if you work the 12 steps and as it goes through, you work on your resentments you work on your character flaws and by the end of it, you're able to make amends to those people, maybe not physically, but you identify what quote stage characters you put on. So what kind of coping mechanisms do I use when I'm scared or when I'm hurt? And it makes you so self-aware and that's the beauty of the 12 steps. And I don't think people realize that, but I tell everyone this, everybody needs the 12 steps and i think that if they did have them people wouldn't just do you know hurt other people without thinking about the actions and i think there wouldn't yeah. be so much violence i think people would be a little more contemplative about how their their um actions impact people and so seeing that beauty of it gives me hope like seeing how many commercials have been out since covid honestly has been the silver lining for me for example i've been streaming nbc and i see um more va commercials than i've ever seen like trying to get veterans to open up about suicide and ptsd and that's beautiful um you know even just online therapy sessions being offered and people like all, all over just so many commercials saying like we're here to talk to you we're here to listen to you. Someone wants you alive. You know, that's amazing. And I think that through COVID, I think people are going to start seeing that because now we have nothing else to do but focus on ourselves because we're stuck at home by ourselves. And focus on and, ourselves in a way we haven't done that because I feel right. like there's been such a, a me and I want to do me mentality. And all of a sudden it's like, guess what? You can only do you now, <laughs> you know, like you're stuck at home with That's your feelings you and your got. thoughts and your dark thoughts that and maybe the uncomfortable you, ones. exactly yeah. that you didn't want to address before. I wish I could right. reach through and hand you a tissue right now. Uh, I <laughs> no, I but, just get, I get, that's from, I get, when I get anxious, I just start choking up and it's like, I get passionate about things, but, um, how dare really you get passionate? Feel, I know I feel so strongly <laughs> about mental health, but you know, it is sad because 
every, I have to say every single client that I encounter, even if they come in just for trauma, they just don't know how to either approach their past or they blame themselves. And I think so many people blame themselves. I blame myself for the things that I've gone through and I still do. Um, do I think that I'm a bad person? No. And do I see what I've gained from it? Yes. However, now I can kind of joke about it. Well, my, maybe I shouldn't have been in that situation or, but people can say what if forever and you're just going to constantly beat yourself up and that's no way to live. Um, so I see a lot of that. And unfortunately I see a lot of it in younger and younger ages. I mean, I have 17 year olds who, you know, have had multiple suicide attempts or OD multiple times and they don't care because no one has taught them how to love themselves. And I hate to say it, but I feel like parents aren't noticing this in their children because they don't talk about it. They don't give you in the, in the parenting manuals when you are expecting, they don't say, look for depression in your five-year-old. They yeah. don't say that. I, I can tell if we could, if I could say something to that, um, and I might start crying now. Uh, <laughs> I, I know that Charlotte is only, well, she, I guess she's over three and a half now. She'll turn four in November. And I have had this like pit of my stomach fear of how she's developing right now when she doesn't get to be around friends. And she is like the definition of an extrovert um, to the point where she'll walk up to a 10 year old, which has happened. Uh, she'll walk up to a 10 year old and be like, Hey, you should play with me. <laughs> like just very bold. Yeah. But the pit of my stomach feeling has come from, her creating imaginary friends, which I totally understand just for anybody listening. I totally understand that's part of the age. Right. I get it. But sometimes it's to such detail and and she gets us into it. She tells Elizabeth and me, you know, like, can you please tell Molly, which is a bubble guppy. It's a TV show. Uh, can you please tell Molly to stop dancing? She needs to come eat. And we're like, Molly, okay. If you don't come eat, you know, we play along with it. But it's to such detail that there have been times where I'm like, man, is she, is that actually like make-believe or is she so, is this how she copes with not getting to be around friends? Right. You know, like is, which one is it? Is there like a kind of a gray area where they blend together a little bit and we're trying to be hyper aware of it. And I've, I've really been working with her to try to, in the same way that we went to counseling to try to figure out what are the best vocabulary words to use terms right. to use phrases to use whatever i've been trying to work with her in her in her little way that okay charlotte i man i know you're angry and it's totally okay to be upset we don't hit when we're upset but can you tell me what's what's wrong and there have been times where she's upset because we didn't get her one teddy bear because we thought it was a different teddy this is a real situation uh, we thought it was a different teddy bear that she had given to lily and we're trying to talk about how when you give something you don't take it back and mm -hmm. and then come to find out it wasn't that teddy bear and she had been throwing a fit and i was telling her you need to like be okay with this and like i was even getting upset at her and when she came out and grabbed the different teddy bear 
I just melted. Aww. Like I'm, I'm a grown man. I'm a big guy. And I just like started crying. Okay. I was like, Charlotte, can you please come give me a hug? I'm, I am so sorry. And if you don't want to give me a hug, I totally understand. Yeah. Like that is my fault. I was wrong. So we're, we're trying to even at a young age address like, okay, it's okay to not be okay. And I just want you to be safe, like talking to me about it. And one of the ways we build that safety is admitting when even I'm wrong or when Elizabeth's wrong. And we say like, Hey, we are not correct a hundred percent of the time, even with our three-year-old. Right. And she sees that. And so she's okay and comfortable with saying like, daddy, no, that's not what I meant. Or daddy, no, I I'm actually, I'm sorry. No, I, I wanted you to go over here. And we have to have some patience because it's not indecision. It's that her brain is not communicating with her mouth (laughs) what she actually wanted to say. And so we're really trying to instill that even in our kid because we've seen, like you're talking about to come full circle here, we've seen what that turns into when they're teenagers, when they're young adults, when they go off to college and all of a sudden they have a blank slate and can do whatever they want. Um, And they don't have that, that guidance even from a, like an internal dialogue perspective that I feel like I have with my mom constantly in my brain, like, mom, no, I know it's a dumb decision, but I kind of want to do it anyway. You know, like that kind of thing. (laughs) But some, some kids don't have that. Uh, So I realize I can't control everybody's situation. I can't impact everybody's situation, but my daughter is my responsibility. So I try to do that with her. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, if that's anything I could pound into parents' heads, like even, you know, talking to my teacher friends that teach public school, and I know you dealt with this, like, it's almost mind-blowing. I mean, I had a teacher tell me that, you know, she would go in and there would be like five or six, and she taught 10 or 11-year-olds, and she would have like five or six students every day with their heads on their desks like this, because they were doped up on drugs that either the parents sedate them before they send them to school or they don't want to deal with them, you know, or it's, you know, the parents using and the, so the kid uses with them. And, and it's like how, like, I can't even imagine, but I don't, what I'm ignoring is the fact that children, so many children come from broken homes where, you know, the parent literally responds to the teacher, you deal with them from eight to five and I'll answer to them after. So, I mean, I've gotten it, emails like it's that. heartbreaking because those kids are never going to have the question, are you okay? Or what made you upset today? Those are the kids that are going to go on to internalize it into their teenage years and unfortunately probably need something else to cope whether that be other people or whether that be drugs or alcohol or something else, but more than likely it won't be positive because they've never received that from their parents at home. And it doesn't matter if you're a good or bad parent, but when a child is young, it's such an impacting time of their life that whoever is near them is going to guide how they perceive the world, unfortunately. Yep. And I mean, that's what kills me is I just, I see this wave of ignorance of mental health or like kid or parents are just like, I thought my kid was fine. You know, I thought they were happy. And 
well, they might have been depressed for a while, but then they got really happy. Well, if people knew anything about suicide, they would know that before a child That's... or an adult attempts, they usually appear euphoric and they might start giving away their possessions and they seem very happy because they're basically saying hasta la vista world. Like I'm, yep. I'm out of here and they can almost feel that freedom of not being in pain anymore. And as sad as that is, that's why people commit suicide because they don't have any other way to get the pain out and no one wants to hear them most of the time or no one knows that they're even suffering. And, um, yep. but that's hard because I've also taught, talked to other teachers that have said, I know when a kid's depressed, but I can't go up to that kid and start talking to them. I'll get sued by the parent because the parents in such denial that their kid has any kind of it condition that I'm offending them. If I, if I bring up mental health and that to me is heartbreaking too, because there needs to be I mean, why is there not a, if you take biology in school, why is there not a mental health class? If you learn about the physical components of your body, why would you not learn about the most important component? And that's your brain and how it works. Because Rachel, that's too complicated. And we don't want to get into that. (laughs) Even though it's just all abstract and vague concepts that you don't need to draw diagrams. Yeah. It's just your mood. Just figure it out. Strap on your boots and, and get after it. I, the way that I kind of dealt with that um, when I was a teacher, because even what you just said, I was like, well, you don't have to like address it as mental health. You could, but you can ask a kid how they're doing. And I'm, right. I would bet the teacher that you're referring to has done that. So I'm a right. lot of empathy there. Um, one of the ways that I dealt with it was I would just straight up tell my students and I had other teachers be like, you did what? But I would tell my students, hey, I just want to be straight with you guys. Because I, I would love for you to be vulnerable with me and things that you're dealing with. So I'll be vulnerable with you. And again, and I've, I've said this on previous episodes to y'all that listen regularly, you'll know that I have said this, but I there's a different level of like candidness that I have in my life compared to other people. I share a lot. And I do that because of my experiences. And I do that because a lot of people bottle up what they go through and they don't talk to other people until they hear that someone else is going through the same thing. Then all of a sudden it's that release and they're like, holy crap, I deal with the same thing. Now I feel safe talking to you like we talked about earlier um, when you're you know, telling somebody what you're going through, they open up. So there's, there's still a layer though that I don't share with many people and that's my close circle of friends. And then there's even a layer underneath that that I only share with Elizabeth. But in this case, I felt comfortable telling my students, hey, I deal with depression. And what you see as a very positive, fun, fun, loving, like to make jokes all the time teacher. I, that doesn't mean that I'm perfectly okay. Right. So in the same way, just cause you're happy and smiling and, and you're talking about your friends that did whatever. And you made a funny video and you wanted to show me and whatever, that doesn't mean that I assume you're okay. Right. So just know that you don't have to tell me what's going on, but you're safe in my room. So right. if you ever need to just come escape into my room, you're safe. And I'll never right. forget, I had a, a girl come to my class who, like, body language-wise, looked like she just was a closed, sealed envelope, didn't want to talk about anything, but she would smile on occasion. And so to me, what that communicated, 
like you talk about how you analyze people all the time and try to read them. Mm -hmm. I'm the same way with, with kids, especially I'm like, something's going on, but she's not ready to open up. That's why she doesn't talk. Well, she comes into my room with one of my other students. Who's a much more extroverted kid lover. Her name's Kylie. She's a fantastic person. I won't say her last name, but always smiling kind of person. And she has her arm around this other girl. She walks in and she says, Mr. Brown, can I just sit in your room? And I was like, yeah, do you want to talk about what's going on? Or you just need to sit in silence. Like I'll turn on some music if you want, like just keep the door open. Cause I, you know, male teachers, it's, I, I don't want to even right. go there. You, you have know? to be careful. Even, even though you feel safe, I just would prefer the door open. That's my only condition. She was like, okay, that's fine. So she sits down and I'm just eating my lunch trying to grade stuff. I just figured she needed space. So I didn't bother like prodding. And she finally says, Mr. Brown, I know you deal with depression. My brother does too. And he's even, you know, talked to me about how sad he is all the time. And I don't know what to do. And it's killing me. So it wasn't even her that Mm -hmm. was dealing with depression, but it was depression was affecting her through her brother. And she knew that she felt safe talking to me about it. And so I, I know that parents aren't always there for them. I mean, this was at a higher end school up in Leander. Um, I know the parents aren't always there for them in the ways in, in every way that they should be because we're freaking human and we, we miss things. But I was glad that I got to play that role in her life and make her just feel safe Mm -hmm. talking about it. And I know that Mm -hmm. the next time something comes up, she'll hopefully feel a little bit more at ease opening up about it and talking about it. So um, I hope that's an encouragement to anybody listening that you're like, man, I feel like my friend is dealing with something and I want to ask just because I care or at least be there for them. I, I would encourage anybody that that's feeling that right now in a tactful way, risk the relationship for the sake of your friend. Like right. if you really feel like they're going to blow up on you, be ready to take that and, and know that it's not your fault. Um, but it may end up being the best thing that you've done for your friend um, just because you told them that you notice and you care. Uh, right. So I'm sure you felt the same thing yeah. just with your friends or even yourself. Yeah. And people don't always want to hear it. And um, I hate to say this too, you're super open about it, but the male stigma of mental health is probably one of the hardest I've ever seen. I mean, it's just, y'all aren't allowed to be emasculinated as that's what you're you're labeled as. If you open up about being sad, it's like, Oh, you're not, you're not a man of the house and you're, you're being a big baby, like grow up and get over it. Well, I bring up to people all the time. What gender are most mass shooters? Male. And if you Sorry, Micah, not pointing at yeah, you. No, yeah, no. <laughs> I realize that I'm on the short end are, of things when I'm a, I'm a white male. Like I'm already yeah, in you're, a bad position. Yeah. So, I mean, but it's uh, like, you know, we joke like, uh, you know, I even joke about myself. Like we're all, all, all females are crazy too, just on different degrees. But everybody is crazy and everyone deals with different, you know, everyone at some point in their life is going to have a quote psychotic moment or a, me- a mental breakdown, a breakdown. That's, yeah, that's what part I was of say. life 
And um, so this judgment that men are not allowed to have that and aren't allowed to talk about it or they're seen as weak when they do and they're shunned, I think that's just the like most unfortunate lie that society has told us. And um, it, it, it's so encouraging when, when I see males open up about it because in reality, they're more brave than most men. I mean, if you're willing to take a stand when you already know that you're going to be called out for it, I admire those people way more than the ones that are being silent because unfortunately, when you internalize things over and over and over and for years, I mean, I don't think that people that go out and just shoot up a building really wanted to shoot up a building. I mean, I really do and it, think... And it didn't just start there. No. Like it, it never just started. Like, they didn't just wake up and go, yeah, today's the day. Let's do it. Right. There was and, a chain reaction somewhere along yeah, the way. And, and it just makes me feel for those people, not that, you know, some of them aren't, quote, terrorists or some of them aren't on a mission from, you know, whatever organization they're with there are those people and that's also another mental illness in itself because it's all a huge delusion because who in their right mind wants to take someone else's life um but what comes to mind is even with media i get so frustrated because when you have someone that is contemplating doing something like killing another person or going into a school and shooting up a bunch of kids they didn't just sit there one night and come up with this plan. They have been haunted by their own delusions and maybe they're even schizophrenic and hear voices and they don't even know that it's not reality. They might think that they have to do this or they're going to die. And people don't understand that the second that it's on the news, it's what color is he? What gender is it? And you know, what church did they come from? What what was their motive? And was did it, they play a, video games? That's right. That's did they play one violent video games? Yeah. Were they um, racist against a certain um, minority group? Yeah, it's you got to check their Facebook thread. Right, and so the, they start picking apart these people, and then somewhere in the wayside, like maybe a week after the story airs, it'll say so and so also suffered from PTSD, spent this long in a psych ward was hospitalized numerous times why along the route did someone not do notice something and and lots of times we can't do anything i mean after someone completes their 72-hour hold and they're not suicidal anymore then you have to let them go and they might come back and that's that's just how our healthcare system works but what you can still do is try to hopefully educate them or or I mean, if someone had asked that person, why are you so hateful towards other people or why are you so sad? Maybe one of those shootings might not have happened, but what kills me, and I'll end my rant there, is that media glorifies it. So Michael and I, Michael and I like to talk about this all the time because this, he's a psychology major, but if you're very se severely mentally ill, and you've been dealing with the condition for a very long time and you likely haven't received the help that you need and you see someone climbing the eiffel tower and about to jump off on national tv or you see um you know an entire school shut down on lockdown because of one person that might have a bomb or has a gun to a very sick individual 
that person on the news just won a Grammy. Yeah. And they got the so, attention they've been wanting. So if they're super suicidal or depressed and find no value in their life, when they see, oh, well, so-and-so, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer went out on this high note or whatever, and he killed this many people in a very sick person's head that's never been told anything else, that to them is the best that they can do. So if their life is not worth living, why not go out on national TV? And the media doesn't, I think they do understand this because it's controlled by fear and you instigate further violence. But when you continue to broadcast and I'm sorry, it doesn't need to be on Facebook live when there is a ongoing shooting so that other people can sit there and get all hyped up on adrenaline just like it's almost a video game, but it's reality and people end up dying because once again, mental health is at play into that sick individual. They're not going to realize that they really got fed off of what they saw visually because we're visual human beings. And that's probably the, all they have left to I, quote, go out on. Well, we even see this, um, whenever like a kid commits suicide um as happened to one of elizabeth's students um and and she for a while she i don't think she would say she beat herself up because she could reason it out in her mind like he was literally the center of attention in class nothing at school school is a safe place so he didn't exhibit any like symptoms at school it was his right. home life that he was dealing with right um so at home he he would just fall apart but at school he felt safe so he would come out of his shell he was right everybody loved him um but the the problem is there's typically a chain reaction when one person commits suicide then the next person who thinks like i had been thinking about this like oh my gosh they get all the attention and man now they're like you said now they're not in pain even mm-hmm. emotionally now I, I feel a little bit more encouraged that like, that's okay. Right. And then they commit suicide. Exactly. And there was a string of, I think it was Cedar Park High School, um, where there were like multiple suicides all within like a month or something like that. And it's, it's not like somebody else is holding a gun to their head. It's that they've already been dealing with all these emotions. And then as soon as they hear that somebody else started the domino effect, then they feel like they're in good company. Right. It's that much easier. Yeah. And so now, especially at like Cedar Park High School, middle school, uh, Cedar Park Middle School is where Elizabeth was. Uh, they, um, they, as soon as one happens, they immediately like flood everybody with like, please, like, let's talk about it. Let's get it out in the open. Like, look, we're not going to make this secret. Um, this is something you need to talk about if you're feeling this way. And they, right. they've, they developed a really good system with it so that now I, I don't think they have chain events like that that happen anymore. And also teachers have become unfortunately painfully aware that like you said, and I agree with sometimes the happiest kid is the one who's having the, the darkest mm-hmm. demons in their head. Right. Uh, exactly. cause I feel like in some way you, you try to convince your, being a person who's dealt with depression, you try to convince yourself that like, you're okay. If you can make enough people laugh and if you can somehow get the limelight, then like, you're okay. But as soon as you're away from other people, 
you have nobody's voice but your own and the internal dialogue that's happening. And that's where it gets dangerous. And so knowing that it, I feel like if anybody listening here, here's some encouragement, be the safe friend to talk to. Like mm-hmm. be, be that person who I could go to, um, you know, Michael, or I could go to my friend Jason or literally a number of people and, and they would feel comfortable talking to me knowing that I, I know when to just listen. I don't have to have an answer for you. I just need to be the ears. Uh, and there's a reason you have two ears and one mouth, right? So I, I can listen and be there. But um, I, I really appreciate everything you've been saying because I, I feel like this dialogue needs to happen. And I got to say, you've inspired me on two fronts. One, maybe going back to teaching just for the sake of children and, and being there for them, being the ears. Um, and then me being able to deal with all the bureaucracy and whatever else needs to happen and lesson planning that sometimes is fun and other times very stressful, uh, for the sake of kids. Um, maybe I can find some sort of role where I don't have to do all that. And just, well, I mean, I would students. say even, even, um, starting a, um, cause we have this in, uh, at my job, we call them sober coaches, but for the same, I mean, same title of like a guidance counselor or that's true a large support group like i mean not like an aa meeting but even a, a a group where parents get together and say what behaviors have we seen seen in our children or like you know like for example um the imaginary friends and stuff like that like what indicators are we seeing in our children that can lead to you know future problems but not only that maybe you know starting an educational group that dives further into child psychology and starts to pick up on you know what are these warning signs and what can we do as parents especially dealing with covid i mean i feel like that's an easy zoom group away um you're right when you have this many children that are at home right now um there might already be a group necessarily lesson plans, but I'm sure it's already out there. I mean, even my school has started support groups, um, for everything that's been going on. And, um, I've definitely reached out to a lot more people and, you know, the more, another silver lining of COVID is it's really made everything more clear on who, who's really important in your life. And, um, yep. So that's motivated me. And even I've seen with some of my family members, like my cousins and distant family that I don't always make the time to reach out to. And granted, I'm super busy, but it doesn't take more than a text. And like, you know, I can check in on some of my cousins and be like, how are you doing mentally? Like, how is this affecting you? And people get really taken back when you just come at them like that. question. (laughs) But anyone who knows me knows that that's how I am. And I'm going to be as open just in turn answering back if they ask me and it might be a word vomit. And I might be like, well, I'm dying currently, but I'm here. But even just the fact of making that contact with people, I feel like has made such a world of difference um, because we're all dealing with some kind of depression, whether we want to talk about it or not, especially just being locked down right now. Yeah. Um, R- but, Real quick, I think there's yeah. a spectrum of depression. You don't have to agree, but if you do, let me know. <laughs> but I feel yeah, like there's not a spectrum. Not the state of like yours, I, you know, where it's inherently R- always been there. 
Yeah. But situational depression, I guess. Right. That's what I was going to say. There's, there's a depression where it could be like genetic and then like chemically in your brain depression, right? which is one of the toughest ones to, to deal with. Yeah. Um, mine is like, it's like a mixture of like situational and chemical. Um, Mm. I it's in retrospect, I had a doctor say, so you had a form of PTSD and I'm like, well, crap, now that you say that, I feel, I think that is what happened, uh, right. where we had a bunch of stressful events, not unlike what's happening in our lives right now. Um, but a lot of stressful right. events that happen all at once. And the climax was we got in a serious car wreck, seven weeks pregnant while house hunting and while trying to move dis- school districts. And we had just gotten married and like it all happened at once. And then boom, serious car wreck. We both end up in the hospital and within weeks, I, you know, you backtrack, right? I, I didn't know exactly when it started, but I started feeling like this cloud was hanging over me. Like I was anticipating my dog dying or something like that. I love my dogs. So you got to know that's like a real deep, like, Oh crap, my dog better not die. But right. you feel like you're just waiting for something terrible to happen. Right. But you can be happy. Like it doesn't really affect your mood all the time, but internally you have this dark cloud hanging over everything you're doing. So right. even though my daughter was born, I felt like something was wrong. Even though, you know, we're watching her walk for the first time. I was like, man, something is off. So then I start taking medication at the recommendation of my doctor. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, this is what normal feels like again. You know, right. and, and then eventually after three years, I got off of the medication because I started going to counseling and figuring out ways to cope with that. But there's a spectrum of depression where it could be situational. Like if someone dies, you're like close to you, you're going to feel depressed. And that's a natural way that humans deal with stressful situations like that and really sad and sorrowful situations when we had our our second miscarriage i was straight up depressed like whatever is like underneath depression as like worse that's where i was just the total despair and sorrow that's what i felt and i feel like it could be situational or it could be just chemical and and you literally can't control the range of what your, your brain is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same way that if somebody had, what, what is it called? Where like your hand, uh, sometimes like your hands will, will be locked up muscular dystrophy. Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Or contractures or yeah, so any, like, like muscular dystrophy. Yeah. Anything like that. So in, in the same way that you can't control your muscles, like, I, you know, if, if my hand was locked up, I wouldn't be able to open it. Mm-hmm. Well, some people, have kind of a similar situation with their brains where I I literally can't control what just happened or what I just felt. And I feel like we, we need to be able to create safe places or uh, know where those resources are to say like, Hey, you can talk to this person. Like that's literally their job. If your car is breaking down, you go to a mechanic. If your brain is breaking down, you go see a counselor or a doctor or something like that. So um, yeah, I just wanted to say, I feel like there's a spectrum of depression and it, Guys listening to this, don't feel like talking about your feelings makes you soft. Like it makes you smart. Okay. So know that if you're trying to be a hundred percent for your girlfriend, your partner, your spouse, whatever, uh, even your friends and family, like be 100% for them. So just ask for input. It doesn't, you don't have to necessarily say like, go seek help. That sounds like you're broken. No, you're normal. Just go ask somebody for input. And it could be a friend, you know, like me that has dealt with this 
or it could be a professional. Either way, just seek help and, and it's not going to be the end of the world um, just to get some input into whatever your situation is. And from a female perspective, it's actually so attractive. Like if I meet a guy for the first time and he tells me something vulnerable off the back, I'm like, all right, locked, locked in. <laughs> Feel safer We're now. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just, if you, if you're going to date someone or be with someone, you know, I have a lot that's near and dear to me. That's very vulnerable and I'm very open as a person, but for me to just share like all, you know, my trauma or things that I've gone through, it's hard for an open person to be open with someone if they know that they're not receptive or they're too scared to, you know, like, I mean, I've made people uncomfortable because I'm open and they're just not ready. And I've had to learn that, that you sometimes can harm people more than help them if you like scare them from talking about they're it. scared or they're not in a position to be receptive or open yet, but it is so attractive and it's so rewarding. And, you know, you feel for that person like, Oh my gosh, the amount of relief they must feel after they actually share. And even though it's scary and they might break down at first or, you know, guys don't like to tear up or need a tissue, but after that's all said and done, the emotional release you get from that and the emotional healing that not even that person who's sharing feels, but the other person who's receiving it feels, um, it's a beautiful experience. And I, I, I wish people could actually, you know, taste it and actually feel that it's almost like an addiction. Like you start to want to crave to see people's, you know, deeper side you you get tired of seeing this superficial you know let's put on makeup and create a mask to everyone because you just don't really know what to expect from anyone anymore and I mean I've told my mom this a thousand times I'm sick of dating like I hate the first year I hate the first dates because you know what to me that is it's all superficial and some people are open from the get-go and that's probably why Michael's still around, but <laughs> I just, I get so tired of like, okay, when is this person just going to be honest with me and I'm going to see their flaws and that's okay. But I, they've already seen mine. So like, can we get this show on the road? Because it <laughs> feels skip like these a, steps here. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like until two people are finally just vulnerable with each other and open about it. You really don't know the person and I'm not saying share your childhood trauma, but at least be able to vocalize like, Hey, I'm not wanting to talk right now. I'm feeling really down. I will want your input in 30 minutes, but right now all I need is a hug. I mean, it's, yeah, that's it. And, and for me, if that's coming from the male figure in my life, it's hard for me to shut up because I want to pry instantly and be a nurse (laughs) and be like, no, 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 no. Your body language is saying you're pissed at me, but why? Or you're, you're pissed at something, but I'm going to take it as it's mad at me. And I think people, I think that's one of the reasons people don't approach someone is because they're afraid that that, like you said, that blow up that might come is going to be directed at them. And it might not have anything to do with them, but 
it still hurts your feelings if you're on the receiving end. And um, so it is kind of difficult to work in mental health at that standpoint, because you know that you're going to be lashed out on at times. But I guess I don't take it personally anymore because that's part of a healing process. I mean, you have to have that release and sure it might not need to be at another person, but if someone has so much pain and anger inside you, I mean, you're not going to get it out with sunshine, sunshine and rainbows. I mean, yeah. I tell my clients cause they'll come in and apologize to me after they've acted a fool. And I usually can, I'm usually laughing by then at it. I'm like, Dude, that was funny. I don't care what you say. Like you were an ass, but your choice of words were pretty funny, you know? And I'll tell them if you don't act up at least once, like after you're done detoxing and you're now working, like, you know, they're grilling you and putting you through uh, some counseling and you're really seeing your own character flaws. I said, if you don't act up at least once, then you're really not changing because yeah. It's just like starting new acne medication. It always gets worse before it gets better. So you can't just go. I'm <laughs> sorry. You just... <laughs> <laughs> Let's compare mental health to acne medication. <laughs> but in general, like you go to your first therapy. Counseling Clearasil. <laughs> yeah, basically clear up your soul. But um, it's the same thing. Like if you go to your first counseling session and you let it all out and your therapist is like, hate to break it to you, but, um, everything that's wrong in your relationships is because, you know, you had this problem with your family member as a child and it sucks to hear that. And you're like, what the hell? How did I not see this before? And now I'm mad at my family, even though I'm really not, but I'm just mad for how things played out. You're gonna have some emotional residue left over and you're going to hopefully not lash out, but someone is going to experience that release, whether it's healthy or not. And that's why I always say it gets worse before it gets better, because you can't just take that pain and sorrow that you had hidden for so long. And that's the beauty of talking to like a friend or a counselor. Um, even my own therapist, she's told me, Rachel, you get all of it. You know, everything that I'm telling you, you just need to hear it in the right way so that you can finally process it for yourself. And I never understood that. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, I know all the facts of what I've dealt with. Like, I know the timeline of what I've been through and the hardships in my life, but overall I've had a good life. So like, what are you trying to tell me? But when that other person or that outside perspective that you might get from, you know, another husband and in a group of dads that you didn't see it that way. Like you said, like sometimes you have to interpret it as how does Elizabeth see it? And when you finally find that outside perspective, I think that's what heals me more than anything is understanding how someone else viewed it. And it's able to let me change my way of thinking so that I can finally find healing and even though I thought the same thing, it's just a different way of how it was processed and maybe how I'm going to go about, you know, either making amends or, or making it a positive goal. It, it just completely changes your perspective. And that's why I wish people would just talk to each other. You know, what's, what's ironic about all of this is that 
I've noticed the people who are the biggest proponents of like getting your mental health right are are always the people who have tried to get their mental health right. And it's kind of yeah. one of those things like, you know, um, I don't really know a, an equitable comparison to, to make, but it's like if, if you tried apple pie for the first time and all of a sudden you're like, dude, have you ever had apple pie? Like, holy crap, this is amazing. Yeah. Like, th- why did no one tell me about this? Right. But, but somebody may, you know, that hasn't had it be like, yeah, but I mean, like I've heard that like pie is unhealthy for you and like it'll add pounds and like, what about gluten and it's got too much sugar and yeah. it's like, but dude, just, you want to smile a little bit for like half a second, just try a, a freaking slice, you know? And I, I feel like in some ways, much more serious way, but in some ways mental health is the same way. We're like, if you've ever been to counseling, now you're the person that's like, seriously, everyone from like five years old up needs to go to counseling. It's the best mm-hmm. thing I've ever done whatever, or somebody who maybe has dealt with trauma and gone through a 12 step uh, program or even talked to a friend who has helped to navigate whatever they're going through. They're now like, Oh my God. Okay. So Rachel, I know you're dealing with some stuff, but like, let me just share with you what I've experienced. And like, it's like you're evangelizing mental health, you know, all of a sudden because you've experienced the light. And, and I think that that is telling in and of itself, if people could recognize like, okay, people who have gone to seek counselors or gone to seek input from other people are now the people who are big fans of it. And they're trying mm-hmm. to tell all the rest of us, like, seriously, you should try this. Like, it's not, right. it doesn't hurt you. Yeah. It hurts like right off the bat because you're, you're being forced to pull out what's on mm-hmm. the inside, but you feel so much better afterwards. Right. Or it's like, if you got, I don't know, a freaking splinter in your hand, like a, a grotesque, you know, piece of a fence board or something stuck in your hand. On one hand, you don't want to pull it out because you know it's going to hurt like crazy and then they got to clean it all out and then they're going to have to sew you up. But about like a day from now, you're going to feel tremendously better. You don't have to worry about gangrene or whatever, chopping your hand off thanks to modern medicine uh, (laughs) because you pulled it out and you cleaned it out. Right. It's the same way with mental health. So I'd love to just wrap things up uh, with just, I would love to hear from you, but speaking not to me, but to people who are listening what encouragement would you give to them? And it it could be somebody in nursing. It could be somebody that's dealing with similar um, medical issues that you are. It could be somebody with mental health stuff that they're like, man, I've just been struggling here and I want to talk to somebody. What encouragement would you have for those people? Um, I mean, for ever, everyone in general, my words of encouragement going forward has been kind of the same as, it's so simple, but just talk to someone, even if it's a random stranger, like, I mean, I've had people just, you know, say like, Hey, thanks for smiling today. Like that really helped me out. Like, and I always say like, you never know who's watching and you never know what other people went through that day when you run into them. And I've had to like, you know, cause I, I'm not going to lie. I've sat there and judged people and been like, you know, like this person just looks like such a shitty person. Like, why do they have this, you know, frown on their face? Why can't they say hi when you say hi back? And, um, you used to almost be kind of resentful. Like, well, if I'm being nice to you, why can't you at least treat me like a decent human being? And I used to take it personally, but, um, now I've kind of looked back and realized, you know, 
they might have just gotten the call that they have cancer or you know their mom is in hospice or you know their partner is leaving them and they've literally worked their butt off taking care of kids for 20 years and now their partner's divorcing them for no reason i mean you just you never know what people are going through and so my word of encouragement for anyone is just really reach out to people that you a know are struggling if you and don't scare them off but it's as simple as like you know when everything started with riots and everything um not to get on like a political stance but i reached out to some of my friends and i said you know i'm never gonna understand what you go through on a daily basis um but I just want you to know I'm here for you if you need anything. And it doesn't have to be a political stance. It's just being genuine as far as like, yeah, it's friendship. What is going on in your life? And I don't care what your background is. I don't care who you want to win for president. I don't care about your skin color, but how are you doing? And I think people take that for granted if, you know, when you don't talk to people, you tend to forget how significantly it starts to impact you. And I know some people are introverts and some people are extroverts, but even, you know, myself, I consider myself somewhat of an introvert. If I'm, for example, in school and working, I will not pick up social media. I might share something on my story, but as far as responding to my inbox messages and talking back to my friends, I kind of shut down and go into survival mode. And I think a lot of people do that, especially in times like COVID or like really hard times where they don't know where else to reach out. And so I think it's really important for people to try to start noticing these things in your peers and noticing behaviors or, you know, if they're starting to withdraw, don't make them uncomfortable, but it's just the simple statement of, I don't know you very well. I don't know what you're going through, but if you need anything or need someone to talk to, I'm here for you. And it's that easy. And the number of times I've honestly said that to at work, um, cause I do deescalate clients off of, um, suicidal ideation. And then I have to decide if they're safe to stay with me and I can keep them safe or do they really need more help than I can give them and they need to go to a higher facility. Um, and the number of times I've, I've like literally sat down with a client and just like said, can I, you know, mainly if it's a female, can I hold your hand and said, can we make a promise? Do you feel safe with me right now? And if they usually they'll say yes. And I said, can you trust me? Do you think you can trust me just based on the interaction we've had? Do you think you can trust me to keep you safe? And they'll usually say yes. Then I ask them, so can you promise me that if you start struggling, you'll come, you'll come sit with me or you'll come talk to me. And, and they usually think like, well, why we're going to bed and I'll say, no, I'm here all night. Like I'm here. 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. Even if you wake up at 3 a.m. and you just really want to run, will you come talk to me? And the number of times I've had clients come back in and be like, I need help. And even though they know that I might have to send them out to the hospital, just me like 
literally taking a moment and it's like in the middle of bed pass and people are asking me to do other things. And I'll say, hold on a second. Cause I just know that someone's going through something and give them that second of just you're important right now. And even if everything's going crazy, I need you to come get me. If you start feeling like you're not safe anymore and every single time they will always come forward. And I think people forget that, that we're, we're scared as humans to be vulnerable until we really start to see that we need someone else and that our own livelihood might be at risk. Like if someone's really thinking like, I don't want to be here anymore and no one else cares about me, they're going to think about that last person who just asked them if they're okay. And I think that's what people like, that's what I really think people don't realize is like how, much a difference it makes just to ask that um and it really does end up saving people's lives i agree so i I mean at a minimum you're giving your friend a a safe place or in your case a client uh at a maximum you literally could save their life just because you were just like hey yeah genuinely asking are like how are you right like in I, and just a newsflash for people that may feel inspired right now, like I do even just to reach out to somebody and be like, Hey, I know you're going through stuff. Um, brace yourself internally for whatever they might say. Right. Cause they, there could be things that you had no idea about. You just right. knew they were dealing with something. And then all of a sudden they're like, you know, this happened, something violent happened, something really sad and like despairing happened. Um, you may not know what's about to happen but just kind of steal yourself before they start opening up because what you don't want to do is be like, Oh my God, are you serious? And you, you know, your friends and maybe that's the okay. response they need. Like I need somebody to acknowledge how just nuts this is right now. Um, but just be prepared. Cause they may say things that you weren't ready for. Right. And that's part of it too, is receive whatever they have. And that's my words of encouragement tied into COVID is that, I've seen a lot of selfishness and people are saying, well, it doesn't affect me and I'm not going to go near my grandma or, you know, I don't really care. If people want to go out and expose themselves, it's, it's their prerogative and their self-will. That's true. But um, when you're checking in on other people, I mean, are you really thinking about, you know, what if they go home and they, have a elderly grandparent at home or do they have a young child at home that you might have been exposed to and um so that's been a lot of my frustration with covid is that not that people aren't taking it seriously but that people aren't really seeing like the spider web effect that it can have yeah and so i know we want to like check in on our families and i've even struggled that with myself where i've had to tell my family like i'm sorry I can't come see y'all for this birthday anymore. Like I cannot come home at the end of the month because I can't live with myself. If I ended up giving it to someone, you know, someone 50 plus, and then they passed away and people are like, well, that's dramatic. But at the same time, it's really not because that's the world you're living in in this situation. I mean, and I hope that we can get out of it faster but I think more people checking in on each other mentally and saying, how are you doing? If we were doing that more, we wouldn't feel the need to, oh, I need to go to the bar right now and drink my face off because I haven't been able to do it. We're trying to fill our 
selves with like material things and like, what can I do to distract myself from me losing my job? And I don't want to think about COVID anymore. So I feel like people are just trying to have fun and I'm right there with them. Don't get me wrong. But I think we still need to take a step back and not be selfish and, you know, consider people's a mental health or like, even I've talked about people who have chronic health conditions. Can you imagine them being at home? Like someone who has cancer, there is no outside for them. There is no endpoint in sight. It doesn't matter if everyone else is not getting sick. They cannot physically go anywhere until we all get this under control. And so I'm just, that's my other word of encouragement is just please consider other people. Um, yeah. You know, consider what they're living with or c- considering what lifelong illnesses they might have, because while we might be able to get another job or get on our own two feet and go outside, they're not ever going to have that possibility. And those are the people who really need to be checked on too. Um, I you love know. that. So. Rachel, I really appreciate everything you've said. And uh, even for those that are paying attention and listening, I there were a lot of questions that I had typed out uh, and we pretty much detoured from all of them uh, for a very important conversation. And I wouldn't, I don't regret any piece of it. Um, I would love to know two things. One, do you know of a resource where we could maybe access a 12 step program, even just the worksheets that you were talking about? Cause I feel like Actually. that would, that wouldn't be the worst idea for people to, who are trying to like process things on their own maybe they're afraid of going to some program, but instead could fill out a worksheet just to help them process like a diary. Right. Um, so I'm just looking online just in journal. Cause I know we have them saved at work. Um, there's, I see like a 12 step workbook. There's a variety of resources, but I can do some research and actually find, and I can even talk to, um, the, well, not my sponsor, but the, female that's going to work the steps with me, my coworker. Um, and I can ask her where they came from specifically, but I was just kind of pulling up to see what they have. There's just so many different routes you can kind of go with it. Well, how about just, just let me know. Uh, but I can definitely look into that for you. Cause I want to, I want to be able to provide that link to anybody that that's listening to this. Um, and just for the record, people, I've recorded these generally weeks in advance of actually posting them. So we're going to work on getting um, uh, at least a, a really good link for people to go to. If you want that resource, um, I'll be sure to put that in the description. Also po- post about it on my social media accounts uh, so that you can have access to that. The other thing I wanted to ask you if you're comfortable with it is just how could people get in touch with you? Cause I know that again, like we talked about once you're open with people, then they feel safe to, to say something to you. And so uh, there may be a, a woman listening to this right now. That's like, I just need to ask her, you know, whatever, right. or something like that, maybe through social media, uh, Instagram or, yeah. or Facebook. Or um, like I would that. say Instagram would be my number one, like as far as I see those first. Um, but you can just, they, you can certainly share my email too. Um, Cause I do get back to emails pretty relatively quickly it just depends on what i have going um but i did instagram what's your instagram Instagram is rachel tx model all together 
Cool. Um, I'll add that in the description yeah, as well. I did just pull up. I don't know if you can kind of see this, probably not, but I just pulled up like <laughs> one resentment sheet and it was similar to what I was talking about earlier, but um, yeah. like one column says I'm resentful at quote people, institutions or principles that made us upset. And then the next column is the cause what we ask ourselves why we were angry in the first place and then the next column it says which part of self was hurt and hurt or threatened and it has self-esteem security ambitions relationships um pride listed and so you start to pick apart these portions of yourself that you really didn't identify with um and then it'll go on to say well in what part did we have where we were selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, or frightened? And then what part of ours was to blame? What part of this was the other person's? And what faults can we see that we can, can work on? You know, Again, I literally think that every human being should, <laughs> should do right? this at some point. It's not, this doesn't need to be some uh, taboo or something like, oh, if you're doing this, like, you're really screwed up. No, it's actually just a great process and activity to do for yourself to process things. But right. um, yeah, we'll send, send me that link uh, and we'll get that as a resource for people. Um, okay. And I will say there, there have been three different ways that you have inspired me even just in this conversation. Uh, one is just to be more vocal about mental health for men, especially and now I'm thinking like, are there any organizations that I can tie with yeah. to, to get those resources out? Also, getting involved with mentoring kids again, that aren't just my own children, but other people, cause I'm, they may not have parents that want to be very involved. And then there are some specific friends that you've inspired me to reach out to and be like, Hey, I know you're dealing with some stuff. Like don't, don't ignore my texts. Don't ignore my calls. Like let's talk. Cause yeah. I, one friend in particular has uh, self-admittedly been as he calls a hermit crab. Whenever something happens, he tucks away in a shell and, and I won't hear from him for days and he's got a family and everything. And so I want to make sure that, uh, he's, he's good to go, uh, right now. So I appreciate your inspiration to me. And in this moment, you're the person who inspires me the most. So if somebody asked me that question, there you go, Rachel Krennic, but Rachel, I, I appreciate your time. I hope that you get some good sleep before your next shift. Uh, or you're going to, you're going to class, I guess, right? No, I work tonight. Oh, gross. Okay. Wednesday. I don't even know what day it is. I get (laughs) class on Mondays and Wednesdays. We're just going to say that. Yeah. I play school on Monday in San Antonio. So. Well, um, and you in December, you will be what type of nurse again? So I'm an LVN right now. And then I'm, um, I will graduate with my RN, knock on wood, hopefully in December. (laughs) And LVN is a licensed vocational nurse. So it's an associates, but it's one step below um, RN. And then RN is? Registered nurse. And then you you can go go on to get your BSN and NP and all that fun stuff. So So it's like RN is kind of like you're an official, like fully qualified nurse. And then you can get like specialties or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you can specialize and add on more and more certifications and then i Got start it. getting confused with acronyms <laughs> <laughs> i'm like what i'm gonna need like a handout for this thing because i can't keep track of what, yeah. <laughs> what we, just joke, we just joke that every extra symbol is a cup 
couple extra bucks, but that's how there it is. is. <laughs> Each letter has a dollar value attached to yeah. it. <laughs> a it's C like, well, equals fifty dollars per paycheck. You yeah, know? <laughs> you can start me at this, but then I have that one and then that letter, so you need to add on this. Yeah. yeah. That's how I usually I, I feel like y'all probably make jokes about like just adding random letters to the end of your name. Oh like, yeah. Comma, like A X Y Z M N P squared. I don't know what the squared is, but just double my paycheck. She it's did fine. it twice. So it's yeah, exa exactly. <laughs> she, she did the same program twice. We don't know why, but she did it. So you got to pay her more. Exactly. Love that. Well, Rachel, again, I appreciate all your time and I, I hope that everything keeps going as planned, even with uh, being in quarantine. I know you're doing virtual classes and yeah. stuff, but it'll pay yeah. off literally. We're making it. Yeah. We're well, thank you it. so much. Have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you, Micah. Man, that was a fantastic time talking with Rachel. Um, as I said, that was not necessarily the plan as far as content. Uh, we had planned a little bit to talk about mental health, but it took over the episode and I think it was worth it, right? So I, I think that we definitely need to talk about it more openly so that it feels more, more normal, that if you go seek input, you're not broken, you're a normal human being who has issues like a normal human being. And then sometimes there are there are things that you can't control uh, that, you know, maybe you do have a chemical imbalance that is causing that depression, that it's not situational, it is chemical, and you do need to seek actual help, maybe medication, maybe not. Um, like I said, I've gotten off the medication, I found other ways to, to deal with what I go through, and now I'm a better person for it. Um, but it may be different for you. But either way, what I wanted to discuss uh, just as this outro is that reach out to your friends like Rachel and I both encouraged you reach out to your friends let them know that you care about them and uh, just make sure that they feel love from you even if they don't respond in a way that you wanted them to even if they don't respond in a way that's very receptive right off the bat know that you made an impact um, finally I'll reiterate what what she discussed uh, as far as you can get in touch with her you can email her at rkrenick92 at gmail.com. That's R-K-R-E-N-E-K 92 at gmail.com. Uh, or you can reach out to her on Instagram. That's at Rachel TX model. That's Rachel TX model. R-A-C-H-E-L. Uh, it's not spelled in any crazy way. Uh, and I'll make sure to include in the description the 12-step program for people that want to just you know fill out some of those answers and, and process some things on their own. I think that's a great activity for all of us to, to try uh, while we're here in quarantine at home. Finally, if you want to continue to support this podcast, I will be um, getting some new ways for people to be able to do that. But for now, support yourself by going to audibletrial.com forward slash MBP. That will get you your free 30-day trial uh, of Audible. So if there's a book you've been listening, wanting to listen to, you can do that for free for 30 days. Knock it out in 30 days or maybe get another book within that 30 days uh, and finish that one as well. That will actually directly support the podcast anytime um, one of you signs up for that. And I know that some of us have been needing a free trial. So there you go. It won't cost you money for 30 days. Uh, and it definitely helps out this, this uh, podcast. Working on some merchandise as we speak, I've got an email in my inbox uh, trying to coordinate getting some merchandise for those of you that want to rep the brand. Um, that'll be an exciting update to post about on social media. 
And uh, last but not least, I hope that all of you were encouraged by what we talked about today. Maybe some of you are going through things. Maybe some of you have friends that are going through things. Either way, uh, I hope that you were encouraged to know that you're not alone. Uh, and I hope that you were encouraged to maybe reach out to those friends. And, and that was your final little push to say like, you know what? Okay, today's the day. I'm going to do it. Either way, I really appreciate everyone that's listening. I hope that you all have a fantastic week. Y'all take care.